expect to be heard because it's unusual that you have like an opportunity to share your thoughts with other people that openly and later on to share your thoughts with the senior leadership of the company in the same room and think of that as a great opportunity to really have an impact on play studios It's the way of play, a play studios podcast where we share stories about our people, our players, and our award-winning products. Hey everybody, welcome back to the way of play. I'm David. Hey, and I'm Stephanie. And this is episode, I, I got to think about it, this is episode three, but it's also part two of our, our first podcast trilogy where we're unpacking the Playmaker Retreat. Mm-hmm. That's our trilogy. Yep. Our epic, majestic trilogy. That's right. We're just a couple episodes in and we're ready going into trilogy territory. <laughs> so if you recall from last time, we talked with Andrew and we talked about the original idea and the inspiration for the Playmaker Retreat and what the intent was. And then we got Andrew's quick read on some of the outcomes and insights that he took away. But for this episode, it really is about what happened and the content that came out of the retreat. So we talked about in the first episode with Andrew that it kind of got rolled up into a, a list of top line topics. So what were the big ideas or areas of focus that, that came out of it? Okay, so for the sake of clarity, I'm just going to share the top eight bullet points, and then we'll get into greater detail as each of the playmakers described their interpretation of these things. Yeah. Number one was playmaker development. Number two was right people, right roles. Number three, we called full stack communication. Number four was involvement in the planning process. Number five, one of my favorite terms, was operational hygiene. Number six had to do with skills-based games and player profiles. Number seven was how we grow our player audience. And number eight was introducing more team content in clans. So that's a great rundown. Were you and the facilitators surfacing those or, or was there more of a process for getting the ideas up on the wall on paper? At first, we did break out into separate rooms and asked people to uh, share their ideas. And then we rolled them up to say, OK, here's where the trends, the themes, the most common topics amongst all four breakout sessions. And then we pasted these things up on the walls and people voted with their feet. They, they said, if I had to pick two or three that I wanted to dedicate some time to and make use of this opportunity to share our thoughts and ideas with the founders, then here's yeah. what I would prioritize. It didn't negate the other pieces. There was a lot more, but if we had only a couple of hours, where would we want to draw their attention and focus? Sure. When you were, that was an appreciative inquiry bit we talked about yeah. last time, right? Yes. That we all exactly. appreciate more and more with each yes. episode. We'll just we'll <laughs> keep putting it out there. That's a funny joke. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, and, and I understand. I mean, cause, right? Because I mean, in, in challenges, there's opportunity and in opportunity, there's challenges. Mm -hmm. So certainly it has elements of both um, in it. Right. But uh, yeah. And, and I see your point that those initial ones really do focus on our kind of operational practices, different from the product that we're going to put out in the world and what's going to make for a really compelling offer. So let's jump into it. We'll, uh, we'll start at the top with Playmaker Development. For this topic, we heard from Charlie in our Las Vegas office. I think when we or any company sits there and invests in their team, then you know you're going to get the best of the best. And not only are you going to get the best of the best, I mean, you might have a Playmaker who's in one field at the studio and they hear about these classes being held and they might say, oh, that sounds interesting. 
and it might be a better fit for them that they didn't even think about. You know, they might attend the class and be like, you know, I really like that and it's something that I want to go to. And then they can speak to their manager. Hey, how do I go from this type of career to this new position? I think it just opens up more doors for the playmakers, for the company. And then you have those people who can easily transition into those other roles if they're interested. We also spoke to Omer from our Tel Aviv studio, who had his thoughts to share on this one. There were ideas or examples like Data Academy that we have done in Tel Aviv. This is a good example of where many of us are not data scientists or data analysts, but they have been through sort of a course in data analysis, and they have uh, acquired skills that are at some point relevant to them and gives some context to, to the job that, that we're all doing. So I think investing in development is, is very important. So what you hear both Charlie and Omar allude to is that like this was a shared concern. Everybody agreed that playmaker development belonged at the top of the list of our big eight. And the other thing, though, that they illuminate is that this is highly individual, right? Everybody's what they wanted to learn, where they wanted to grow. They all agreed that they wanted to learn and grow in their roles, but it was different and it needed to be individualized. And so we talked about how, as an organization, do we prioritize playmaker development? How do we make sure that every playmaker, playmaker, play manager, that they've got a development plan that is specific to the skill set required in their role? And so um, they wanted to make sure that as a company, we kind of put our money where our mouth was, where we not only budgeted the money for the, whether it's a workshop or it's online training or or, um, some other kind of development, but that we also budgeted the time for it. Yeah. So I I heard a couple of things in that. Um, First of all, I heard you drop play manager as a new construct. (laughs) So hashtag trademark, we'll have to keep that in. Yeah. Um, And and then, yeah, I also heard you speak to the the challenge that we face, not just around training, but other things as well, where you have that tug between the urgent and the vital. Mm -hmm. Um, And and not even just making sure that we set aside the money, but really protecting that time for people's individual developments. They can deepen their skills, Mm -hmm. not just so that they can do better in their present role, but in whatever role they may grow into or that opportunity presents. Exactly. Uh, which I think is a wonderful segue into our next topic, which was the whole note about right people in the right roles. So for, for that one, we, uh, we heard from Ashley in the Austin studio. It's one of the touchier subjects, I feel. There are people whose job it is to manage the product, but they're also dipping into managing people when maybe that's not necessarily what they're supposed to do. So what is the line there? And how is it being crossed? Is it inappropriate? And then there's also the facet of right people, right roles that touches on, are the people in the roles suited for what they're doing? Are they trained enough? So it's multifaceted and a little more complicated because some people might feel that, well, if you don't feel that I'm suited to my role, that's your subjective opinion. And at the moment, I'm not sure how we're tracking objective data on how people are doing in their roles. It's important because we want to make sure that we're operating like a well-oiled machine, but that's difficult to do when perhaps someone doesn't have all of the development they need and the skills they need, or maybe they're being asked to take on responsibilities that don't necessarily belong to them or shouldn't necessarily belong to them. 
sometimes it's a symptom of a company that started up as a startup, right? And now yeah. has grown to this operational organization. And really the group as a whole, the attendees in general, they all kind of shared the consensus that our hiring and our onboarding, regardless of which studio you come from could be more consistent and that was really the request behind yeah. that how do we really set people up for success well good plenty of good work to dig into there mm -hmm. so that'll take us up to the next one which is full stack communications and, and how we we get the word out up down and across the organization for this one we went to katrina in our berlin game office i really enjoyed being a part of and contributing to a full stack communication just because even in my day-to-day -day work, um, it's as simple as our Slack channel, which was brought up as a whole too. The U.S. offices are on one Slack channel, and then Israel doesn't use one, and Hong Kong uses a different Slack channel. So um, my role is very cross-functional, so working with Israel and the Hong Kong teams, it's sometimes difficult to communicate or I miss a message just because it's in a different Slack channel or the communication just gets lagged. And I, I know we also talked about in that group um, having like a centralized hub so anyone can go to to look at like the different product calendars or who should they go to um, to talk about um, a certain fix they need if something's broken. Sometimes it's hard to identify like who really owns something just because there's nowhere to go to. Yeah, I specifically remember one of those sessions where people were saying, I wish I had this. I wish there was a report that did that. And you said, there is. I get <laughs> yeah. it. You don't get it. And so you just even your experience helped to illuminate for other people like, oh, the information's out there. Mm -hmm. I just... I just don't have access to it. Okay, well, where can I go to get it? Yeah. And who should I ask, right? And that's where like the centralized hub idea came from. We also heard from Calvin from our Hong Kong studio. As a data analyst, I need to work with a lot of different departments to get the insight, uh, to get the ideas from them so that I can provide insight to them. So uh, in my day-to-day -day work, um, when I want to reach someone that I don't know, I wish I could have a directory to uh, like type in their names or like position or project name so I can find the people who relate it, which can improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the work. What I really liked about what both Katrina and Calvin pointed out were that there are these mini breakdowns that don't necessarily have to be, and yeah. we were blind to them. And so once they highlight them, we can now know. And one of my favorite sayings is awareness creates choice. Oh, I like that. Yeah, you're bringing the mad <laughs> wisdom to uh, episode. See, I can't I like keep track of the can, episodes, yeah. but I know it was good. When I can right. drop the knowledge here. Yeah, that's yeah it. but no, <laughs> the idea is once we know about it, now we can do something about it. And that was really yeah. one of the primary desired outcomes of this retreat. Yeah, you know, I think the other thing interesting about that is, you know, it's an example of something that uh, on the surface seems like it might be just a minor thing. Oh, well, you know, you don't have a Slack channel. But when you just think about how many transactions happen that mm -hmm. are wrapped around some communication between different teams, different offices, and then you amplify that over the course of a day or a week or a month, you know, it introduces right. a lot of friction into the system. Uh, let's continue to extend, uh, you know, the theme because obviously that was communication at a very tactical level. But when you think about communication at a higher, more strategic level, that starts to get us into mm -hmm. this whole notion of our planning practice and, and how that manifests and, and the opportunities and challenges that that presents us there. And so on the topic of planning and, and people's involvement in planning, we heard from Charlie out of our Las Vegas office. 
You know, Dean and I meet with the executive team and product managers every year. And, you know, Andrew and the team expresses the importance of, hey, make sure you involve your team. You can come up with all these ideas, but unless you know the workload that your team really has on them, your timeline might not always be doable. It also opens up their mind and gets them to start thinking differently, you know? They might only see one side of the product based on whatever their job is, but when they're starting to think about, hey, this is what we really need to do and stuff, it opens up the mind on where to go and different thought processes. What was that like for you when Andrew asked the question of the group, hey, by show of hands, how many of you have been involved in the annual planning up until now? And you were the only guy that raised your hand. What was that like for you? I'll say that I was kind of disappointed too. <laughs> this will be my third year of going through this planning project with the team. And every year, Andrew has stood up during the, the kickoff and said, make sure you involve your team. And just to uh -huh. see that that hasn't really happened, I'll say that I was kind of disappointed. This company is, is amazing about involve, uh, the whole team and you know bringing everybody together. But to see that that wasn't really going. It was kind of disappointing. So one of the things I wanted to add to Charlie's statement was that beyond the big lift of annual planning, and we're already mm -hmm. beginning to see those that, that feedback incorporated there, the attendees really wanted to just be more involved in the day-to-day -day planning as well, yeah, whether we're talking sure. about sprints or when we make adjustments to timelines and outcomes. Yeah, because that, that never happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we know. We, we expect the change to occur, but they just want to be informed. And they want to have a say in what a realistic assessment looks like, whether it's the big stuff or the little stuff. So it really was involvement in planning overall. Yeah, for sure. So as you, as you can see, more involvement in planning mm -hmm. helps us to have a cleaner process, which means we have less missed deadlines, which means we have time for retrospectives where yeah. we're learning from our mistakes and we're budgeting time in the next sprint for things like tech debt cleanup. So mm -hmm. that kind of led us to operational hygiene. And I know some people don't like the word hygiene. They think it's like the word moist. But the reality yeah. is this is the stuff that keeps us healthy, just like washing your hands for at least 20 seconds at a time, sure. paying attention to cleaning up tech debt. That stuff matters, too. Yeah, exactly. All right. Now, both of those words are going to get stuck in my head. But as a marketing guy, I, I will say those are those are both really good words. Um, It'll be a hook. Yeah. Well, and look, you know, the, the that topic of operational hygiene, I mean, you know, I, I get the notion of just having like, you know, clean process too. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, in a lot of the the documents that, that I've gone through over the years and looked mm -hmm. at around our company values mm -hmm. and, you know, you even see it in our uh, performance review uh, process uh, and standards there that, you know, we talk a lot about operational discipline. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, you know, good planning, good retrospectives, understanding what worked, what didn't work so mm -hmm. that we can continue to improve in all of our cycles, whatever that cycle might be. Mm -hmm. um, did you, I mean, were there any specific points there where it felt like we were being 
unhygienic or the opportunities to be more hygienic? Yeah, we were inconsistent in retrospectives. Okay. So some studios do them regularly and others, uh, we don't get around to them all the time. Yeah. There are others, there is tech debt out there. Some of it matters to us and some of it doesn't, but we mm-hmm. can't tell the difference. And so being able to spend time communicating around that mm-hmm. or having really clean handoffs, that was another piece of the sure. operational hygiene that came up. One other thing about the health of organizations, for companies to have really strong execution and to be smart and innovative, they got to mm-hmm. be healthy. Yeah, and for so sure. that's, that, that's the value for sure. of this. And I, I will say there was one time where uh, my team, we actually did our retrospective retrospective. Yeah, we did a retrospective with the My Vegas team, and it actually was a really good retrospective. And then we had a meeting about you know why that was a good retrospective and how we could repeat that process. So, <laughs> Do that some more. A little yeah. bit meta, okay. but you know, yeah, that yeah. was back in the day, and we had time on our hands. Not really, but um, <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, and so, uh, I guess on that happy note, you know, the rest of the items on the list that bubbled up in the top eight really were much more focused on. The products that we make, you know, where they are, things that we can do, ways to grow and expand our player audience. So here's Rod from our Tel Aviv studio sharing his thoughts on skill-based games. Tell us more about that. Why was that important to you? Me, myself, uh, I'm a gamer and I have like a lot of knowledge in the gaming uh, industry and what's going on and who's playing what. 2020 is like a big year for mobile gaming. I mean, like me, a lot of the co-workers that works with me is also gamers and also have this um, big amount of knowledge about making a good skill-based games. Uh, it's also a big point uh, to get some new people come into our app, um, more active users per day, something that is very, very important to me. Oe also had something to say about skill-based games and player profiles. In this topic, it's like, it's two different topics all together mixed. So I think that a lot of people talked about creating more skill-based games in the retreat and they want to develop more games that might not only be in the casino, maybe in the casino, but with skill-based games. I would like to talk about the other one, the, the player profiles. I see it as an opportunity to take players and they give them a player profile and they can see across all our apps. And we're working on stuff that are pretty similar and they have a lot of players in common. And we can use that to develop and to enrich all the apps all together and understand something about the players of one game that might um, be able to to put in another game and the users themselves. They could see one app and relate to the other app. Not just that, I think that also we could use a lot of information about gamers and about our players that they do on specific apps that might be good for other apps. And we can do even events that goes in between the apps. It's good for the players as well as it's good for us as a company. Just to clarify, so you're talking about the, like a notion of a kind of a universal identity that carries across apps when you talk about a player profile, right? Exactly. Here's Sivian from our Hong Kong studio talking about growing our player audience. So, yeah, for the company growth, like a long-term growth, they have to grow their audience to increase their revenue. Mm-hmm. And they, and I also uh, remember they're also talking about like uh, targeting the youngest teenagers. Omar also had something interesting to add on this one. 
between the ideas were maybe develop more games in in the the social casino genre maybe just expand to other genres of, of games also uh, to use the current games that we have which are awesome and think of like exceptional ways or ways that we haven't done so far to promote or to advertise these games. There were ideas like using celebrity endorsements and using a different kind of uh, social media influencers to, to promote and endorse our game. Use more collaboration with our partners. I really sympathize with that, that we need to do some like large moves on on marketing and advertising to promote our games and and make them like huge i i guess there's an optimism about it um there is an agency there's ambition behind conversations with how do we really grow our player audience and that was really one of the intentions so yeah i mean clearly a lot of uh excitement about stuff that's product facing i mean we're, we're a product company that's where most of the folks are spending their time um digging in on that uh, you know one of the things that was mentioned at the top that we didn't we didn't hit in the the comments from some of the playmakers was there was also discussions around clans and and more group play and group type content. Um, any any specifics on that one? Yeah, I think I think it builds on uh, growing the player audience, and it talks more about how do we grow the player community and build on the social aspects, and mm-hmm. then allow for some personalization. So the attendees were talking about ideas for rewarding cumulative play versus singular apps or creating special interest teams or creating suggestion boxes for players and playmakers to grow these social opportunities in the games. And even for the developers, making this more visible as a source of inspiration, like how people are plugging in to the products on the whole, not just the individual apps. And so they saw this as an opportunity, something to aspire to. All right, so that was the uh, that was the rundown of our top eight, but I, I know you've also mentioned that the, we did studio specific report outs too. I think we didn't have time to get into that as well in this episode. But um, anything you want to hit us with to give us a taste of that part of it? Well, and that was an adaptation that we made during the retreat. It was at the request of the attendees, and they said, "Hey, if we've got their attention, then can we talk a little bit about our experience in our studio?" Because they also, in talking to each other, started to recognize, "Oh, mm-hmm. it feels different in Tel Aviv than it does in Berlin Game, than it does in Austin or Hong Kong or Las Vegas." And yeah. so. In addition to these big eight, um, they also had studio-specific feedback that I'm sure, I know I've been involved in a lot of conversations of saying, well, what can we do locally as in addition to what's going to be done globally to enhance the climate and the culture and what it feels like to work with each other? So that's what mm-hmm. those studio updates were about. Cool. And, and that content, as well as later, that got pulled through to the action plans that we'll yeah, get into a little absolutely. bit in the next episode, right? Yeah, cool. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, so now, you know, we've got one Playmaker retreat under our belt. uh, And so it kind of is a parting shot. We also circle back with the Playmakers and ask some of them to share with us their thoughts if they were going to give advice to their colleagues that get tapped to do the next one, you know, what their thoughts were just generally in retrospect. Ian from our Las Vegas office shared his thoughts on this one. 
I guess one of the things that I wanted to say that I thought was a real positive that, you know, Play Studios is even having these events in the first place is that a lot of people, they love their company and we can tell that you're taking care of us. And so I think some people might be like a little bit afraid that, oh, well, how can I criticize this place when they're doing so much for me, right? But criticism doesn't mean that you dislike the company. It means that you're invested in the company. And exactly. And the fact that management recognizes that means that you need to feel comfortable taking advantage of that. And so that's, I guess that's what I would say is just that, hey, you know what? If there's something that just doesn't sit right with you, don't let it just kind of yeah. like sit in the back of your head, you know, feel free to bring it up. And you might actually be surprised how many other folks go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me too. That's me too. Also, Jeannie from our Hong Kong studio, some thoughts on this one. It's an amazing experience and we can learn from our coworkers, learn from the management and then learn from Vegas as well. We also heard from Calvin on this one too. Also, a lot of colleagues in different uh, studios. So we mm -hmm. understand the nature of what the studio basically do, how how the day-to-day uh, -day work looks like. So have a better bonding between yeah. one another in the studio. So that's uh, that's part two of three. Uh, and as we said earlier, uh, the, the grand finale for the trilogy here will be the next episode. And we'll, we'll bring um, Andrew back again with Katie and Paul and John. And we'll talk about what the company plans to do moving forward with all that really great candid feedback they received uh, during the Playmaker retreat. Mm -hmm. Yes. So until yes, then, until then, thanks again. Or stay tuned. Or coming soon. And up yeah, next, we're still trying to dial yeah. in how we uh, what the, the, both the sign on and the sign off. What our sign yeah. off is. But we'll get there eventually. <laughs> we'll get a whole collection of them. So thank mm -hmm. you all very much again for listening and yeah. downloading. And we look forward to chatting with you next time. This has been a Play Studios production of The Way of Play. 